Ed Sullivan had seen them coming back from Sweden on Halloween, October 31st, 1963. And he saw just this huge rush of people. He thought it was the Queen. The in Beatles London? thought the Queen oh. was coming through in London Airport. And he didn't even know anything about them. But he says, I want to book the Beatles uh, on uh, the show. <laughs> Something Will Happen, a podcast about the largest Beatles music festival in the U.S., Abbey Road on the River, celebrating our 20th anniversary, May 26th to 30th, 2022. I'm Melissa, one of the organizers of the festival, and I'll be talking about all things Abbey Road on the River, held every Memorial Day weekend in Jeffersonville, Indiana, just outside of Louisville, Kentucky. I'll be interviewing your favorite Abbey Road on the River fans and staff to unveil new plans for the upcoming festival, talk about how influential the Beatles are, and share insider stories about the festival and music you love. Whether you're new to Abbey Road on the River or you're a festival regular, if you love the Beatles as much as we do, you're in the right place. This is Something Will Happen. Something Will Happen. Let's get started. Well, today on the podcast, I'm very honored to be joined by the one and only Joe Johnson. That's right. <laughs> and so our listeners um, may know him by being MC and host at Abbey Road on the River and on the Flower Power and Rock and Romance cruises. Um, and also from being, you know, from your longtime radio program, Beetle Brunch. I think a lot of people know you from that. So, um, and I love like the, what it says on your website about the history of Beetle Brunch. I didn't know this, that it originated in the spring of 1992, where you were listening to all these Beatles CDs and you're wondering why local radio stations weren't featuring the Beatles on like a a radio program. Because probably at the time you couldn't really listen to the Beatles unless you had the old records. Right. You know, there wasn't really (laughs) the internet or YouTube. And now we have the old records again. Now everybody likes vinyl. Yeah. Yeah, they've all been re-released and reproduced, um, which is great. So, but I thought that was so cool how you like just came up with this idea. And I was just a, a little uh, flunky morning uh, sidekick kind of person. And uh, so I started there <laughs> and I was there for 28 and a half years. But the program director is the guy that was a Beatle fan too. And I said to him, I had just bought a car with a CD player in 1992. It was like a rare, it was a cool thing. And I was taking a long drive and I had all these bootlegs and different CDs and things. And uh, they sounded so good. And I was a production person. I thought, man, I wish somebody would do a show. And when I proposed it to my program director, he said, "Um, well, do something, mock up something. So I came in over the weekend and I mocked up a little thing about Sgt. Pepper. And uh, it turned out to be the 25th anniversary of Sgt. Pepper in 1992. So we started it. May 31st, the show started 1992 on that anniversary weekend. And it was a small radio station in, in not the signal, but the ownership was just a couple of guys that owned it. It wasn't corporate. And they had like four other stations. So we started by playing the show on all the stations. And I had to mail out these big reel-to-reel tapes. They weighed like three pounds. And there was no CDs, no digital, no DATs, nothing to record on except tape. Right. So everything you did was in real time. Yeah, And I used to mix the show in real time. So like if I made a mistake, I had to start that whole segment over. Oh, it was. Yeah, really. But Pro Tools, digital stuff. Now it's so much better. Yeah, so much so easier. Much faster. So right. and so this May 31st will be 30 years of the show. I was just thinking that. Yeah, because yeah. it's our 20th anniversary, too. And it's your 30th anniversary of Beetle Brunch. Um, and I was even talking to Gary and he was kind of like, um, we're talking about how it's kind of shows like yours that kind of maybe pushed uh, the gateway to like new Beatles fans or kind of like pushed Apple to, you know, mm-hmm. uh, re-record or reproduce all these Beatles stuff and put this Beatles music out there because they kind of saw they had an audience for it because of shows like yours. Well, it's possible. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I just did it because I liked it. And there were so many songs I wasn't hearing on the radio. We, you know, at the station, we played the same 10 Beatles songs that everybody plays. But then with the show, it was kind of a, a relief valve. You could play stuff like Not a Second Time or B-Sides, or I could do themes that were the whole album where I could play every track off of Starch and Pepper if I had room and had time. So, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it, and then the the biggest thing was when the internet came around. And I remember when I was with Westwood One and we were doing the contract and I put in something about the website and the guy goes, what? I don't know anything. I don't care about any of that. You know, we don't care about it. Just do whatever you want with the website. 
So that was like, I, I think I did, did my deal with them like in two, uh, 1998 or something like that. And I was yeah. with them for 20 years. So yeah. that, that was great. That sounds yeah. familiar to me because Westwood One, um, I remember that's when I started listening to your show when you had a an affiliate oh, I, in my city, yeah. you know, and every Sunday it would play and I was, you know, 12 or 13, but every Sunday I was like, I need to listen to this show. Like it's, it was, you know, the internet, you weren't like doing online searches for Beatles stuff. You couldn't really, I was right. just getting into the Beatles. And so I like had to either tape it if I couldn't get up that early <laughs> as a 13 year old, or I would just, um, yeah, get up and listen to it because I only had like the anthology book and tapes right. and stuff to listen to and then this was another like thing to get all the facts and all the cool little songs that you don't hear anywhere else you know yeah and sometimes uh you know alternate takes and things before they were i was doing it before the anthology came out i know when i first started the show that it had just been around the exact time or around that time that they released the beatles at the bbc so i had all of a sudden i had like 39 more tracks and conversation and funny stuff like that and then they uh 94 or 5 i guess was the anthology and then they really started putting everything out and um uh, i don't know where you were when the anthology was on but i remember um people said oh can i come over to your house and watch it i go no nobody's coming over my house i don't want people talking in the middle of this thing i want to watch so i went out and i bought this big tv weighed like 500 pounds remember those right and then big i bought a tv yeah, yeah svhs videotapes and i taped all you know i taped them at high speed so i didn't have to lose any quality and i still have my original videotapes of that i taped off of abc but wow. and then i drove to the radio station at midnight when they played free as a bird they didn't play it till the end and i recorded it and, and i left it on a cd for the morning person that they could play it on their show in the morning so i i just didn't want people coming over and distracting me with like you know put on something else during the commercials or you know whatever all that stuff that right so uh no you had but, to do your job <laughs> yeah and i was really into it and i wanted to hear the nuances so yeah. um and you get plenty of that on the get back i mean i just talked to a friend of mine mm -hmm. he goes i think it was a bit much so i said well you know i listened to it in little <laughs> clips and i listened for different things i listened for john lennon saying something snarky that i can lift or i can mention so i mean everybody listens to different things on the radio i'm one of these people that turns down the radio when the regular music comes on i turn it up when the promos and production and stuff come on but unless you it's do? uh well as a production person because that's my main thing is i used to did that for i used to do that for a long time imaging mm -hmm. and all of the stuff that you hear like in the commercials but about the product of the station so oh, okay i did cool. that for like the whole time i was there the stage was really fun to do because you could use simpson drops in, drop ins or you could use uh clips from i don't know how legal it is but you know oh sorry we just played a clip from david letterman and something so oh, sure. uh you know or you know whatever production music or song hooks you know i could do a montage of songs about sunshine or songs about time or songs about food mm -hmm. so i was always uh thinking those and that makes it to the show now because you i mean how many times can you feature a hard day's night in 30 years i feature it every year so 30 mm -hmm. times you know or when the dvd came out maybe another time so uh, I always have themes like I'll do um, uh, the the Beatles. I'll do a time show. So I'll play because if it's daylight savings time. So I may do a theme about oh. songs that have time Wednesday morning at five o'clock, you know, or oh, sure. those kind of things and just kind of string them together. Um, I did a feature one time. I called it Guess the Feature. And it was songs like Help. Uh, well, that's the only one I can think of at the moment. But it was songs <laughs> with one word titles. So uh, oh, and sure. I'm thinking. Yeah, so I'm thinking about doing a show where it's a one-word title, then a two-word title, then a three-word title, then a four, and just run them all together until I'm at everybody's got something to hide except for me and my monkey. <laughs> That's probably going to be the last one that would on the set. Yeah. Unless uh, unless you can think of one. No, <laughs> it's the longest beetle beetle title. I can't think of any others. I like that idea. Yeah, so I may try that. It has to time out to the length of the show. but um, And that's the great thing about the Beetle Brunch Club or the Beetle Brunch website uh, mm -hmm. is that if I'm doing a show and it runs too long, rather than ditch it and start over, I put that version on the as the version for the members of the on the show on the website. And then I have to make a version that goes to the syndicator that's 48 minutes or whatever it is with no commercials. Yeah. So, right. um, but that, you know, 
with with the internet and with digital you have a lot of different freedoms that you didn't have before or things that you could explore you know so mm -hmm. i mean i like what you guys do at abbey road on the river you have this amazing video screen up there and then sometimes you'll show stuff back you know on, on from other performances in the past and you know mm -hmm. that's that's really great and the, all those stages you know i think there's so many stages the last time i was there i'm like me and danny we're trying to run between all the different stages because <laughs> i wanted to try to introduce everybody like the four little girls or the two you know they deserve to yeah. get a nice intro you know right so. yeah but yeah with like six six or seven stages it's hard to <laughs> between two of you guys running around trying to introduce everyone well anyway that's amazing is there anything else you want to talk about with your career or what oh, you're doing my, now well that, it's funny as i got older i fit into different formats you know so like mm -hmm. uh now i'm working at the npr station in miami so i do oh, the morning okay. show there so i've been there like five years and it's just um they run syndicate you know national stuff like morning edition and npr news and we have a local news. So I'm in between. Somebody once said you're like grout between the tiles. So, you know, I have mm -hmm. like 15 or 30 seconds to say something or relate and, you know, about what's going on or what's going on in the community as it appears in the news or whatever. It's just different when I worked at the oldie station. I could be really edgy, you know, and do stuff on the air. Now it's like, you know, you're, I'm kind of middle of the road edgy. You know, I still try to be funny. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what I'm doing now, the NPR station. But before that, I did the Oldie station for 28 and a half years, which was the day they got rid of everybody. It was almost almost within like two weeks of half of my life that I had been there. Wow. You know, uh, those 28 and a half years as you do the math. But uh, <laughs> and it was great. It was so much fun, you know, because the oldies were, you know, fun, fun, fun by the Beach Boys. And they yeah. have these long talk ups and you could be really silly and play, you know, um, drop ins and things on the air. And mm -hmm. it was good. And before that, I started at the Mellow Rock, the, the station that's like that the bridge stole from because they were around long before. But, <laughs> <Right>. but uh, <laughs> yeah. that's it. And that and wow, then so I do voiceovers and stuff. you've been in radio your whole life. Since I was 21. Yeah, yeah I, actually, okay. I'll show you. I know that yeah. people can see this. I won this on the air at that station, Love 94. It's Bobby uh -huh. Caldwell, What You Won't Do For Love, right? You know that song? What you uh, yeah, won't do. So it was a heart-shaped Bobby Caldwell record, if I can get it out of the sleeve here for the people in the podcast. So it was his song, What You Won't Do For Love, and I guess it came out for Valentine's Day. So it's a heart-shaped record, too. It's a heart-shaped wow. record. And that, like, pink, clear plastic style record. And what happened was I won it, and uh, I don't remember if they mailed it to me, right? So I get it, and I put it on my record player, and it's skipping, and I was really bummed. So I called the station, and I said, can I come in and exchange it? And so I did. I went in, and I was sitting with that same program director who later, you know, I worked with at the oldie station. I had never met him, and I heard him on the air, and I said, this skips, and he gave me a different copy. And as I was getting ready to leave, I said, nervously, have you got, like, any jobs around here, anything I can do or whatever? <laughs> So he put me with the current morning guy and I wasn't on the air, but my job was he had this AM radio that had like five buttons on it. And I would go between the AM stations and steal traffic reports because you didn't have this big <laughs> network traffic. You had every station had their own plane, you know, Alabrera flying over the Palmetto Expressway. And so I knew what times all they did their traffic reports, like seven after, two after when I wrote them all down. And so I would steal the traffic from this station. Hey, there's an accident on I-95 and... I would bring it into the DJ and he would read it on the air as his traffic report. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. So that's, I, awesome. that's how I started. And then he ended up getting fired and the new guy they hired who ended up becoming a huge celebrity in town, um, he couldn't read my writing. So he just turned my mic on and handed me the paperback and go, Joe, you do the traffic. Mm -hmm. So then I was the traffic guy. And so I did the traffic for, and then we had a third guy was a news guy. So between the three of us, we goofed around and we kind of did funny stuff on the air and I was the traffic guy. Mm -hmm. So, thanks to the theft of uh, those five uh, buttons. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, that's and, great. And then we always, then when he left for a bigger job, this other guy came in and we started producing, you know, fake commercials and song parodies. And um, it's on YouTube, but I did, uh, him and I did a song when the University of Miami played Nebraska in 1984. And, you know, big U.M team down here of course the hurricanes we did a song called uh, watch out for the hurricanes or the hurricane warning because florida's under, always under a hurricane warning mm -hmm. so we put this song together and i'm driving home past the orange bowl which is where they were going to play that night 
and I just pulled over and I had a reel-to-reel tape of the song and I gave it to the guy, some guy at the NBC truck. I just said, well, let me just give it to somebody. And I left and I'm watching the game and I'm falling asleep because I was doing mornings and they go, here's a song that's really tearing it up in Miami. Play it, everybody's playing the hurricane warning. And they played our song for like a full minute. And I'm like, I was like, what? It was like the strangest thing. So I have a box of hurricane warnings in the closet too. So, but then everybody started calling all these stations from all over the country. They wanted the song and I was dubbing them onto a cassette and putting them in the mail. But you know, you only have so many It's to dub things, you know, you couldn't click and drag like in the good old, like you can now. Mm-hmm. So, so we started doing these parodies and doing songs and we were getting on the local news all the time. And, oh. and it was, uh, it was fun. It was, I got, I got to be on like a real morning show, you know, and be yeah. creative and, and so, so now it's a little different. I'm like, stand by for morning edition. We'll be back, you know, WLRN. <laughs> right. Wow. Yeah. Your, but, your voice totally changes with that NPR sound. <laughs> and it's funny when I first started there, I was so used to being on the oldie station where it's like, Hey, stick around. I got beach boys coming up in just a minute. Don't move. Hey, we're going to hear some Beatles and tomorrow on beetle brunch. And then I get on NPR and I'm going, Hey, keep listening. We got NPR music coming up. And then in a minute we're going to do the news. And, and they go, Slow down a little bit. Take a little beat. Let the music play a little bit. Take your time. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's that's kind of where I'm at now. I'm kind of a hybrid of both, I guess. Still high high energy though, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah. Well, you get to bring that out when you like come to Abbey Road or when you do some yeah. interviews and stuff. So, I, you know, I, I think I was so thank you guys for having me there when Jeff Emmerich was there because mm-hmm. uh, he didn't wasn't around for too much longer. But right. I, it was so great to do. And I actually heard um, you you talking about it or one of the oh one of the musicians was talking about it on your podcast about how they loved going to see the special Jeff Emmerich uh, performance yeah. or speech. We had a seminar just up. for the musicians. Mm-hmm, yeah, I was there for that. Specific and, and, questions to him. Yeah. So they were, the questions were a lot different, and it was really cool. That that's one of the great things about Abbey Road on the River is that you were doing those big celebrity kind of get-togethers and uh, mm-hmm. for the for everybody, and uh, that's what people should should know. I know it's a little different now because of the the distancing and all that, but uh, right. you guys have a yeah. great lineup with Tommy James and the Shondells and the Circle, yeah. and yeah, it's yeah, gonna be fun. Really excited about that, and we've been waiting for Tommy James since. 2019 because <laughs> he was lined up for the 2020 event so now we're like <laughs> let's really go let's really you know he's so good we we did as you mentioned the the 70 i think it was the flower power cruise or yeah he was on the flower power cruise like three or four years ago and he just one hit after another after another after another it was like incredible the music uh, library and most of them he wrote himself and then three of his biggest hits were covered well, you know, Billy Idol and I, Tiffany or somebody, I think we're alone now. Yeah. And uh, making them all number one of oh, Joan Jett. Didn't she do uh, yeah, Crimson, Crimson and Clover? Clover. Mm-hmm. It, it, three, and they were hits all again. And then he wrote that song Tighter uh, by Tighter and Tighter, Alive and Kicking. He wrote that for that band, Alive and Kicking. So oh, his yeah. show is just so full of hits. It's just so great. Yeah. Um, he He's such a nice guy. And yeah, uh, I heard you and Gary that. talking about his book that I married the, uh, the me and the mob and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Me, the mob it's, of music. Yeah. Or something. I'll send it to you. If you don't have it, it's, it's, Dude, it's did really, you read it? Really, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. It's so good. That's and he awesome. was such a Beatle fan. So, you know, mm-hmm. he's, he's going to be Beatle buzzing at, at the same time when he comes to Abbey Road on the river. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm pumped to go see him and I need to read that book. So okay. <laughs> I'll take you up on All right. borrowing that from you. Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to take a picture of each page and text it to you. So. <laughs> there we go. Speaking of the digital age, you know, <laughs> it's just easy to knock off a book like that. Um, but speaking of the Beatles and everything, I mean, this is great because I'm sure that you kind of do more of the interviewing than getting interviewed. <laughs> Um, so it's great to hear all your background and everything about that. Well, but thanks. I also thanks. wanted to pick your ear on. Sure. I don't. I don't know if that's the right term for it, but <laughs> since you know everything, and this is the week of February seventh, uh, yeah. which is a big red letter date in Beatles history and in Abbey Road, we always use it for. Um, I don't, we always like mark it because it is such a big. Sure, it's, Beatles, it's the biggest. Yeah. Yeah, really. yeah, because they came to America on February seventh. Um, because of February 7th, the red letter date, we're doing a 15% off any general mission ticket right now. So um, we're doing, you can either get one day 
a two-day or two-person, a four-day or a four-person, or you know, you can split up those tickets however you want, or a five-day like kind of smaller ultimate ticket to ride if you don't really want all the um, you know, shenanigans that go into the ultimate ticket to ride and you just want to like put your lawn chair down and come all five days, then you get 15% off any any of those packaged Wow, it's fantastic. So That's I'm great. Excited about that. And um, so I wanted to talk to you a little bit about how uh, kind of what led up to the Beatles coming to America and then Beatlemania ensued and then the Ed Sullivan shows and all that. So, um, um, yeah. So what do you think? I mean, you know everything. So I just wanted to talk about like the leading up to the, the all right. before the well, Beatles came to America and like what was the state of the, of the country and like what yeah well the interesting thing is um they had always said they wanted to come to america and there's one thing and you can't blame anybody because as, as paul and ringo and george and john have often said when you're in the middle of the bubble you don't or you don't really know what everybody you, you just know it at the moment and you don't go back and listen to that necessarily or watch the news yeah. so um there's even a part in the anthology where they talk about shea stadium and the person says you know what about the second time you played in jay Paul and George go, no, we only played it once, but they did play it in 65 and six. Uh, but one of the things Paul always says is, you know, we said, we're not going to America till we have a number one song, you know, and then I want to hold your hand at number one. We said, okay, I'll go to America now. Mm -hmm. That's completely not the way it happened. Although I love him for having that memory of it, but yeah. they had recorded, I want to hold your hand in October 17th of 63. It was released um, middle of um, December, like toward the end of December. And they had already booked with Ed Sullivan on the 11th of November. So they, uh, um, Ed, uh, Brian Epstein flew to New York and they booked Ed Sullivan. Ed Sullivan had seen them coming back from Sweden on Halloween, October 31st, 1963. And he saw just this huge rush of people. He thought it was the Queen. The in Beatles London? thought the Queen oh. was coming through in London Airport. And he didn't even know anything about them, but he says, I want to book the Beatles uh, on uh, the show. So he found <laughs> out about them and uh, that's what he did. And uh, he invited Brian Epstein to come to New York and, and they booked, but they, and then, you know, because uh, I want to hold your hand started getting popular, was played on the radio. It uh, was number one, just simultaneously as they were about to hit, uh, come in from France. And that's where that whole thing with hitting each other with pillows and we're number one and, and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, the, the interesting crazy. thing, though, is uh, it was it was November 22nd, 1963, that CBS aired this long form news show. You might be able to find it on not a news show, but a piece you might be able mm -hmm. to find it on YouTube. I have it here mm -hmm. with this guy um, kind of putting them down in, in England. There's this thing called Beatlemania, which is really we don't understand it, you know, and he's interviewing girls and everything. And they were showing clips of the mania that was going on, not in the US, but everywhere else. Mm -hmm. And uh, of course, November 22nd, 1963, they were gonna run that piece again later on in the day, but John F. Kennedy was shot and that oh. changed everything. So they didn't yeah. ever air that news piece again, probably not until January. So um, they were almost gonna come in earlier, but that whole thing changed as soon as, you know, 11 a.m. Dallas time, you know, uh, President Kennedy was shot. Right. and. Um, that changed everything. So, but then at the same time, I think the youth of that day who are now RA, my age and older, um, feel like it was the Beatles coming in was a nice break from relief from all this sadness and this funeral and John Kennedy Jr. saluting his oh, dad at the yeah. casket and all those just heart wrenching moments. And, uh, you know, he was 40 years old, he was young. And, you know, the, so I think when the Beatles came in, it was kind of like what, just what they needed, a big gust of cool air and music and yeah. personalities we'd never seen. And their hair mm -hmm. was long, which is shorter than mine is today. And, <laughs> right. uh, you know, that was all. And the news people didn't know what to do with the Beatles. They had, they had never interviewed groups and they're going, don't, don't you think your hair is too long? And when are you going to get a haircut? And I had one yesterday, you know, <laughs> as George would say. And yeah. uh, they didn't know what to do. And they just started laughing. And then they realized, you know, every, they were like, they really came to, as Ringo said, they came to kill us, you know, the, oh, I'm going to get these Beatles. Who do they think they are coming in here? Yeah. And then another thing that is really interesting about them coming, it was the first time you had a group. You always had Bobby Vinton or Buddy Holly, or, you know, you had like oh. one guy, mm -hmm. one guy that was the Elvis Presley. He's just one guy, but you had this four headed monster, you know, come in. And so however you looked at it, it was different. You know, if you were a Ringo fan or 
And it's funny, I, preparing for this, I was looking through this album I have and uh, of interviews, and it, I think this is the one. And they talk about, you know, each Beatle. And they said, Ringo is the short one. You know, it's like, really? It's like, you know, it's kind of mean to say that. But they were, they defined them, you know, based on these characteristics that you could figure yeah. them out. But, I'm sure uh, they had to like, be like, which one is which? I don't know. Well, Ringo's the short one. <laughs> yeah, well, there's there's one interview that I've heard where they they came to America and one of the guys calls, uh, he calls John Eric. He says, Eric, what about you or whatever? And, and so, you know, and John answers the question. And then he and then at the end, the guy says goodbye and he said, oh, I'm Eric or something like that. And uh, <laughs> and there was another guy that before they came to America, he, he called him John Lemon. Let's find out what John Lemon has to say about that, you know. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, well, they were probably just so strange to all these like kind of buttoned up older journalists trying to be like, what, what do we do with these guys? But the cool story about Ed Sullivan that sometimes people, some people might know it, is um, they were, they, first of all, they got paid $10,000 to do three shows and they got airfare for like six and rooms and hotels. A lot of that they had to pay for themselves, you know, for different guests and that. So they came into New York and on Sunday night, they played their first Ed Sullivan show. They played the following week at Miami Beach, which I'll tell you about. And then yes. the third week, the 23rd, they played... Um, their final show, but they had already been home for a week. So they recorded that first show the morning of the Sunday night that they were actually going to do their first appearance. Oh. So that was actually their third appearance. I mean, it was actually their first appearance. Yeah. But it was told, but Ed Sullivan is up there going, well, you know, we're going to miss these guys as a group of youngsters. They've been so kind and uh, he had like just met them. You right. know, and he had never seen them play and was like, unless he watched it. He didn't a, even know what was going to happen that night when it was just crazy no i mean i guess they could like oh they're great <laughs> yeah and so you know he hadn't he hadn't seen them right he hadn't seen them wow. so that third appearance where they only did three songs uh they taped him and on that afternoon then on sunday night they did the the sunday night show where they came they did five songs by their third uh ed sullivan they were they were in miami and it's where i grew up that's where they were and they were only supposed to stay till monday but they loved it so much that they stayed till thursday and they did so much so many things. In fact, on the show that airs this weekend on Beetle Brunch and On Demand, I found these interviews from that guy, Ed Rudy. I held up his interview album where he talks about and he interviews Ringo and he goes, oh, we borrowed a bunch of millionaires boats and I crashed it into the dock. And, uh, you know, and, that, <laughs> and they, talk, they talk about that. And, uh, you know, they had, it's so funny when you look at the video or the pictures of them. And they're sunbathing, but they're wearing all their clothes, you know, and they're laying on these uh, chaise lounges in the in the back of the Doville facing the ocean. Or they're walking in the water and all these girls are clawing all over them. And, mm -hmm. you know, it was, it, they loved Miami and they um, actually went to a Coasters concert. They heard about the Coasters and they kind of oh. had to sneak them in the back door. They were playing yeah. at a hotel. But they also went to see um, Don Rickles. And oh, really? uh, they actually walked out like toward the end or halfway through because he was just picking on them the whole time. And they weren't used oh. to that. And he was just picking on there. Oh, you sound those stupid accents. And blah, blah, blah. But that was that oh. was how he was, Don mm -hmm. Rickles, you know. Well, were they like not prepared to be in Miami because they were laying on these lounge chairs in full clothes? Did they not think like, oh, it's February. I don't need to bring my you know, bathing suit. Yeah, they probably didn't know. But I think the other thing is that they wanted, uh, they didn't want to get sunburned and they didn't want to get, mm. have something happen to, to affect oh. the way. But there is, by the time you watch the Miami uh, Ed Sullivan, you can see Ringo is sunburned. He's bright red and he oh. looks, he looks really, because I get sunburned all the time. And you have to like constantly cool yourself off because right. your skin just he, feels hot. Yeah, it just feels really the heat coming off of it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I don't think they were expecting that. Yeah, I don't know, to planning to stay. Uh, were they planning on the weather in Miami? Maybe not. They were going to dash in on Thursday, and then they were going to leave on, I guess, Monday morning after um, their Ed Sullivan show and go back to New York, probably go back to England. Yeah. But yeah, the, the then fact they that came they came back soon enough after that, right? Well, no, they, they, they never came back to Miami. They they were here oh, for eight Miami. days. They were here for my, in Miami for eight days. And when they went, they went to New York, and then they went home. And that was it. And the only concert they ever played in Florida was at the Jacksonville Gator Bowl. And they played oh, that when there was a hurricane and the hurricane diverted them before the hurricane, the hurricane diverted them to Key West and they oh. were in Key West. And that's where Paul tells that story 
you know, him and John were sitting around ha having drinks at the bar in Key West and they put their arms around each other and they were crying about their moms and things and they really, really super bonded. I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it. And then Paul wrote the song here today, you know, for if I said oh. I really love you, would you know? That was based uh, on this moment that they had based on that there. time they had in, in Key West, Florida. Oh. Hurricane Dora was. And I think if you saw the um, eight days a week film, they yeah. interview uh, certain people that, well, Whippy Goldberg said she went to the concert, but there, you know, the Beatles <laughs> said we're not playing that concert if you segregate the, the seats and, in Jacksonville, because they were like, there was going to be a section for oh. black or African-American, a section for, and they said, no, we're, yeah. we, we won't play if you do that. And that's a yeah. big part of the eight days a week movie. Cause, yeah. Uh, yeah. That, they, that, that whole scene about that. Oh, I love that. I love that about the Beatles. <laughs> yeah, even back then. And, you know, all mm -hmm. the music they listened to were by Fats Domino, Little yep. Richard, um, you know, obviously uh, Chuck Berry. Uh, they just, you know, they didn't care. They, it was, right. they were like, I don't know, they play music and we love it, you know. And then mm -hmm. Paul was really the one that did the best version next to little richard of long tall sally because if you ever heard pat boone he's like gonna tell aunt mary about uncle john but then when you hear little richard and paul do it they're just screaming, screaming their it. guts out on this song which is the way it's supposed to be mm -hmm. so yeah that's how they they tried to homogenize uh, th those black artist songs they right. just remade them in the pat boone style i guess yeah i think i went funny. off on 12 tangents so pick the one you <laughs> like okay. best I was like, okay, we can come back to um, Miami. Well, I thought you had um, an interesting story about how your radio station, maybe before you worked there, had a wireless yeah. mic for... Well, actually, it was the station I grew up listening to. Oh, okay. I ended up... The main guy that came out of that station was named Rick Shaw, and he was our cousin, Bruce. He he came mm -hmm. to WQAM, and everybody else left, you know, for the spotlights of New York and Chicago after they became famous on local radio. He stayed, and he became iconic and I became best friends with him. And so him and I became really great friends and I was always picking his brain about the Beatles. And I, I asked him that, I said, what was it like when the Beatles came to Miami? Cause you were there, I, I've heard the records of him going, Rick Shaw, we're on the tarmac. He, he told me that um, this company, whoever was making microphones at the time had come up with the first wireless mic and they offered to loan it to the station, hoping they would buy one. So they said, okay, yeah, the Beatles are coming in. So while everybody else was on their on the payphone in the hallway at the airport with a cord like this long. Well, we can hear the Beatles, you know, and he's trying to be on the air live. WQAM right. just walked out on the tarmac and they just, here come the Beatles, here comes Ringo. Oh, look at that, there's John, oh, look, there's Paul, you know, and he starts, wow. they start screaming. Yeah, so um, they well, had they the first to... wireless mic and, yeah. and it was, and, and that changed everything. And then the other stations were like, boy, they were so embarrassed. We were claiming we were gonna be here, the first Beatles station. But that was the other thing is the once the stations were here, they did personal interviews with them and they thanked everybody from the from we like Paul says, we'd like to thank everybody from the University of Miami. I don't know what they did. They didn't they didn't have my hit song at that time. So I don't know <laughs> what they did. They yeah, because I think they had come up to see them at the hotel. But uh, the mm -hmm. other sad story with the Miami is that. Yeah. famous hotel they stayed in. I was just going to mention that. Yeah. The Deauville. It's, it was bought by this family in 2004 for like $4 million. Today, that property is worth over $100 million. That beachfront, you know, couple the of acres. Deauville Hotel. And that's where they recorded their Ed Sullivan That's where they taped their Ed Sullivan. And, you know, on the 50th anniversary of them playing the Ed Sullivan show, I was working at that Oli station, and it, was, it happened to be a Sunday, the 50th anniversary oh. of February 9th, uh, February 16th which is when they played the following week, 1964 was exactly on a Sunday. So we set up camp, we had a live broadcast from there and the exact stage in the Napoleon room, that room, a friend of mine, you may have seen the video as a photographer and he videotaped it and then he pulled in the tape from 1964 and it hadn't changed a bit. It had the same lights, it had the same stage. And so the, the hotel being in disrepair, what they're blaming the family on is purposely letting it rot so that they could condemn yeah. it, have it imploded and build whatever they want there or sell the land. Right. And unfortunately, when they bought it, they signed something that said, we understand it's a historic um, part of South Florida. So with that being the case, you really can't implode it. I mean, there's a lot of legalities and formalities you have to honor before you can do that. So there's this huge thing going on where one camp is saying, oh yeah, we've already scheduled the implosion people. 
But then the other person's saying, you can't, you can schedule all you want, but you can't do it because we're, we're locked in this battle. But I, I don't know how that's going to turn out. Um, on the on my website at brunchradio.com in the news section, we're updating that news about the Doville. So mm -hmm. by the time, okay. if you've listened to this, anybody can go check it out and see the latest. You know, yeah. sadly, there's not a lot of original people in Florida that were here in 64. Right. You know, our town is so mixed culturally, so mm -hmm. diverse and so populated by people from all over the world. It's, people want to be here. So yeah. it's hard to find an original first generation Beatle person. You know, because me and a friend of mine, we're already scheming. we got to get that stage and, you know, break it up into little pieces and sell it <laughs> like they did the Beatles hair or the Beatles uh, sheets. You know, you have I somewhere I have a piece of a Beatles, you know, sheet. All the we, Beatles <laughs> guaranteed slept on it. Each of them one at a time slept on this square mm -hmm. from the Deauville Hotel or wherever it was That's from. Funny. <laughs> well, th this friend of mine who um, actually rented that one room one night, it was the room that uh, Ringo and Paul shared. And it's funny. Ringo and I would do interviews occasionally for his all-star band. And when he called me at one time, he says, oh, you're in Miami. I said, oh, I love Miami. I said, but you know, I was just in the room because it had only been a couple of weeks that you and stayed in and you, you're the Beatles and you had to share a little room with two twin beds with Paul. And then George had to share a room with Murray the K. You know, and, really? uh, and yeah, it's like, you know, and then Brian Epstein got this big suite, you know, in the can of the, <laughs> and it was, it's so strange. And John stayed in a room with Cynthia. So that was why oh, John sure. had his own. Well, they are, were also, what, 22 or. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't think George was 21 yet. He wasn't 21 yeah. yet till February. Um, I don't know what the drinking age was. I guess it was 21, but you know, he'd probably had a beverage or two in his day. Yeah. It, they were very young. And uh, I guess mm -hmm. so John being 1940, he was um, 60, he was 24 you know he was yeah. and now i see a 24 year old and i go you know how do you know about the world and been around? <laughs> <Right. laughs> <Yep. laughs> but uh in reality they're probably smarter than me but anyway I yeah i hope they do something to save it i mean i can't imagine realistically they're going to save everything because the pictures of it are just so dreadful and someone okay. sent me an email they're called the youngest beetle band and they're like little mm -hmm. little guys and they're like nine or something and they're actually the night of the Beatles' appearance on the Miami Ed Sullivan, which is February 16th. They're going to be playing across the street. I think it's like a pizza store or something because I've oh. walked from the Doville across the street. There's a pizza shop. So I communicated back to the guy and I said, you got to play the same six songs in the same order. I yeah. mean, otherwise, you know, so uh, I think they're going to do that. He said, we're going to do it except oh, cool. for this boy. I don't know why they can't. That's probably the harmonies are Maybe, tough. Yeah, those yeah. are tough. So that's really cool that someone is doing, someone's honoring it, you know, you know, anniversary is coming up right now. So that's yeah. Cool. And the night we had our special there on the 50th anniversary, we had uh, 1964. I know you know them. Oh yeah. And they played, they wore the same clothes. And I remember talking to the, the, the main person from 64, I can't remember his name. And uh, I said, what are you going to play? And he goes, oh, we're going to do a set of hits. And then we're going to do this. I go, God, dude, you got to do at eight o'clock. You got to do the six songs and do whatever you want. Yeah. But you got to do the six songs and in order. Create it. Yeah. Yeah. And so he did. They did. And it was okay. really great. And, mm -hmm. you know, I took a lot of pictures of it. And uh, it was fun to, to be there with the, the original Beatle fans that were coming up and yeah. just almost in tears, loving, loving right. it in that same Napoleon room on that same stage. Oh, how know. cool. It was really, it <laughs> was really cool. I could have seen that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you guys yeah. do a lot of those types of things and they do mm -hmm. those in New York and Chicago because there's more Beatle history there. But, yeah. you know, I think the thing I found researching them in Miami, the eight days they spent in Miami was the longest they ever stayed in any city mm. that they didn't live in. I mean, they went to Hollywood. They were only there for like three days and they met okay. the birds and they played two Hollywood Bowl shows and stuff. Yeah. But they never stayed anywhere, as far as I know, more than eight days, except in London or Liverpool. Or, yeah. um, And I think even when they went to Sweden and came back and Ed Sullivan saw them, they'd only been there for like five days. Oh. And they played nine concerts over there. <laughs> well, cool. Well, there, there's kind of the history of the Beatles coming to America and then recording, and then doing the Ed Sullivan shows live. I think that's so fascinating that they recorded their third show first. <laughs> when, when Paul McCartney did his 1990 tour and he played at the mm -hmm. stadium here, I was actually in the press and uh, I actually taped, took my microphone and I taped it around his before he came out so that I'd have like a really clear oh. signal and... And I put my little cassette player on the floor and I got to ask a question and I did ask him, you know, what are your memories of, because it had been 25 years, what are your memories of 25 years ago coming to Miami? And he mm -hmm. said, um, well, you know, I remember the, uh, the company MG gave us each an MG to use while we were here, which I've never seen pictures of, but 
I'm really? not going to, you know, he must be true. And he says, you know, and we, we, th that house they went to, that's famous Life magazine where they're swimming in the pool. Oh, yeah. uh, my best buddy, his wife lived at the time, he wasn't married. She lived, they lived next door. And I think the deal the Beatles uh, had to make, they wanted to come back the next day because they wanted to have a pool where they could just relax and they didn't have people, you know, yeah. bothering them or taking pictures. So they went to that house twice. And apparently on the second day, in order to agree, the homeowner said, you have to let my daughters come out. You have to let the neighbor. And so they allowed some people oh. to come out. And I think my friends, you know, wife or her sister got to go and hang with the Beatles. They were That's probably like, cool. <laughs> like 10 at the time, you know, at the perfect right. age. Paul <laughs> yeah. was recently interviewed and he said that, uh, you know, they said, oh, do you watch the old Beatles movies? He goes, no, not really. He goes, Yellow Submarine we watch because I've got grandkids. So sure. they, they, they watched that one. So, mm -hmm. and, uh, and George Harrison used to say, you know, they'd say, well, what about your son? Is he into the, does he know the, that you were in the Beatles? And he says, not really until one day he asked me for the, how do you play the guitar lick on Hey Bulldog? And he said, oh. I said, how would you know that? And mm -hmm. he says, I'd saw the Yellow Submarine. So. Oh, interesting. interesting. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's the gateway movie, you know, for younger fans. <laughs> so let me ask you as a person that's in the music business and sees everything Beatles related coming through uh, Jeffersonville and, and Louisville previously and Washington. Um, what what do you think is the, the secret to the staying power of the Beatles? Because you could say the way they dress, the way they evolved, uh, the music. I mean... I'm, I'm not even sure, except they keep doing it. I mean, everybody thought Let It Be was a dud, you know, 50 years ago. Yeah. You see it in the discount rack and everything. And now it's like the the IMAX movie, you know, showing the, the Get Back uh, rooftop concert. And and I think Peter Jackson even did a live pop-in, I heard, on, on that. Oh, right. I heard that, Took too. questions in advance and talked mm -hmm. about it. And uh, I guess we're lucky we had Peter Jackson because originally it was going to be 90 minutes. And then when the pandemic mm -hmm. hit, Peter's like, well, what am I going to do for a year? Okay, I know. Right. <laughs> we'll make it eight hours. Yep. There's been some good creative stuff that's come out of the pandemic. Unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, fortunately, but unfortunately, that that's what had to do it. Um, but as for the staying power of the Beatles, I, I don't know. I just feel like um, it's the music. It's like they're the whole package. It's just like mm -hmm. they're their music and their personalities and their style. That's kind of just, everyone's like, Ooh, they look intriguing, you know, but I don't know why it is. And like, it's interesting that I'll talk to more people my age about how they got into the Beatles and everyone seems to get into the Beatles at that younger, like 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 age. Yeah. And not really when you're even older. if you were 13, then, you know, it's like yes, something, exactly. maybe it's something about the songs that, pop the ears of a 13 year old. Mm -hmm. But I always said that the Beatles were like, they were like four different groups or eight different groups because they were a cover band originally. I mean, all they did were covers, you know, sure. it was Twist and Shout and all that. Then they were like a pop band, the two minute pop song and She Loves You and everything. Then they were like Dylan influence, you gotta hide your love away, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. And then they became like um, psych psychedelic with revolver and backward guitars and sounds like mm -hmm. seagulls chirping and the backward songs. and. Yeah. And then they were like a, a, an acoustic rock band with all the songs from the White Album. It's like Paul's over here doing Blackbird and Ringo's doing, uh, you know, what's the the song? Uh, Blue is Mind Out in the Car or whatever. Not not A Day in the Life, but the other one. And, uh, you know, George is trying to do his own thing and John's doing stuff with Yoko. And then they're the rooftop trying to get back. And then they're, then they're, I almost knocked my mic over. Then they're four separate groups. You got Ringo, you got Paul, George, and we used to have John and George. So yeah, in um, their solo careers, right? It, then you've got four of that. And then you've got the people starting all over. So I, mm -hmm. I don't know. It's, yeah. there aren't too many. I mean, even the Rolling Stones, I don't think are had that. No. And I think you know. there's some kind of authenticity with them also, like in the, even when I was growing up, it was like the early 2000s and it was like Britney Spears and all these kind of boy groups that were like made to be popular that I never got into. And I was like, oh, this music's actually like real and has these lyrics. And especially when I would get into John's solo stuff where he would kind of like just sing about being a human or like have mm -hmm. do these mistakes or I'm just jealous, you know, and like that's okay. And it's different than just like that other bubble gum. And maybe that's a thing when they came onto the scene in 64, where before that, as you were saying, like Pat Boone, or like these people would kind of cover other songs or kind of try to be 
you know, play music or write music just to get popular, get radio plays. And the Beatles were just like, we wrote a song. Isn't it good? Like, <laughs> take it or leave it, you know? Um, I mean, they did want to be famous, I guess, but there's just but the then authenticity you also think, it. I saw her standing there and this boy were B-sides. I mean, they had so many great mm. songs that they, well, let's put it on the B-side. And then they, they, the other thing that they always say is we didn't want to take advantage of our fans, so we released singles separate from the albums. Hey Jude's not on an album. You know, that paperback yeah, writer, single, it's a single. I mean, now you can find it on, you know, the Hey Jude album or the compilation. Yeah. But that was the other thing they did. They, you know, they, they didn't want you to have to buy I Want to Hold Your Hand and then unless you, unless you bought the Capitol version of Meet the Beatles, then it was on, on both. But oh, in yeah. England, you know, it was this whole separate thing, the album. And then they gave out, they had EPs with four songs on them. Right. They had like 13 of those in England, only four in America. But the, the fact that they did that value, we, they gave you so much value for, for your money. And then they have an eight and a half minute song, Hey Jude, basically, or seven mm -hmm. minutes and 19 seconds, I should say, that uh, just, <laughs> just um, nobody ever did that. And the radio's not gonna play an eight minute AM radio station, play an eight minute uh, song on the radio, but they did. Everybody right. played. I remember hearing Hey Jude on the radio. I was 10, really? you know, and it was it, the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. And then you buy, I have this Beatles album that came out in the 80s. And it's, uh, it lists all these hits. I forget the name of the album, but it says, Hey Jude, and it has parentheses, short version. Well, there was no short version. The record company <laughs> decided they're going to make a short version. They just faded down somewhere in the, in the oh, okay. so middle of the did. song. I thought but, they just uh, said that, so radio stations would still play it. Well, they're no, because like, it's, a, it's, it's a, <laughs> right. They would fool you. But actually, people used to do that, too. They would put the wrong time on a single. If it was like 359, they'd put like 259 or 312 or something so that oh, really? the DJ would play it. Because a lot of times you look and you go, I don't have time for this. You know, it's four right. minutes. And, and top 40 radio Ooh. back in the day, they would play one song, come back and play 10 commercials, one song. And so <laughs> right. they're, they're going, there's no way I have time for. But, oh. 259 I can get that in you know and they stick it on and then before you know it they're playing a long song yeah so yeah maybe it's a it's a ruse we've uncovered uh something uh maybe. nefarious yeah yeah but even with hey jude they kind of opened the door to other uh bands yeah. being able to record longer songs or explore their creativity and then getting into prog rock and everything you know um which wasn't played as much but at least that was the beginning of like longer songs or you know. Yeah, and then and then they took it in in for themselves with Revolution Number no. Nine and mm -hmm. some of these other yeah. tracks that went on. There, there's that slow version of Revolution that people are always asking Giles to put out, so he did on the White Album box. But it's I think he made it like 12 minutes, and they're like, "Well, we want the whole thing." And he's like, "You know, <laughs> you can't. If I put that on, then I have to bump something else, you know. And it's not any sure. different at 20 minutes than it is at 12, you know. Right. So um, people are always asking for more, and then they yeah. When you give them more, like one friend of mine, oh, like eight hours, it was a little too much. So I guess you have to be, you really have to be in that niche fan. But, you know, I, yeah. to be honest with you, I watched it in pieces. I watched really excited the first, you know, half hour, 45 minutes. And I, you mm -hmm. know, every couple of days I'd come back. And then I watched the rooftop yeah. on its own just from the beginning of that. I didn't want to, and I watched that all the way through to the end. And then the credits were great and, you mm -hmm. know. They had these little disclaimers. On, we're talking about the get back. Had these little disclaimers, smoking cigarettes at the moment, you know, and stuff like that. Like they're trying <laughs> to give warnings, you know. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, I loved I loved the get back documentary. It was so good. But that's the kind of thing. Would you Would you guys ever play, or would you be able to play any of that at, at a certain time at Abbey Road on the River? I mean, but, right. Uh, I mean, I don't think it's allowed. But we have had like movie rooms, you know, in the mm -hmm. Radisson where you can watch. Um, Beetle movies while you're waiting for the bus or just chilling out in sure. the morning, you know, that's nuts. Yeah, Abbey Road on the River is so great, and uh, I've had I've had such good times there. And I mean, the the amount that you get for what you pay is ridiculous. You know, you six stages or five or four, there's five, and the right. different the the transits and the hotels. And I'm, I mean, I know the landscape's changed with the building of a new uh, parking garage or something, right? I'm not even sure right. what they put. Uh, there's right an apartment the building, um, an apartment right building. on the side of the uh park so yeah but we had um oh yeah you didn't come to the, i mean that no one no one was really traveling for that but we had a rooftop concert on the balcony of that apartment building overlooking the park last last may for a smaller for the penny lane at the park um oh so right we yeah moved, we had right. moved the bigger festival to labor day already and then we were like oh well 
people seem like they'd be okay coming outside and rooftop concert seems very safe because no one will be near the right, stage. Sure. <laughs> yeah. There's a whole story that goes behind it. So, My only yeah. story about Tommy James, and it's very short, is yeah. we, when I worked at the Oldie Station, we did those concerts and, in, in a venue and um, they were Tommy James and the Shondells, maybe the Turtles. And I'm standing backstage with a cassette recorder and, you know, kind of nervously looking around for anybody, you know, to interview or and this woman taps me on the shoulder. She goes, would you like to interview Tommy James? I'm his wife. Oof. And I said, yeah. oh, that would be great. So she took me back and he just did a bunch of liners. You know, hey, this is Tommy James. You're listening to Joe Johnson. Pretty soon he'll be on NPR. No, he didn't know that. So uh, <laughs> he he was he was just so wonderful, you know. So, I mean, that's the, the besides seeing him play, my, my memory is how gracious and nice of a guy he was and how real and you know, authentic. And and I remember asking him, where did you record Hanky Panky? Because the version we used to play was all scratchy. And, you know, I think it was taken probably from a record or something back then. But the version I heard recently is much better. But he, yeah, we recorded that like in my garage, you know, me and my friends or whatever. Yeah. So. <laughs> That's crazy. And they were like 15 or something. But thanks. Thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, but thank you I for having it. me and having me uh, speak and uh talk about stuff all over the planet but uh <laughs> yeah, it's the most we've ever to... talked at one time without being interrupted so exactly good, yeah good no, to talk good with to, you as well good to learn more about you you know i've been listening to you since i was like 12 so i'm like oh, oh that's Joe really Johnson. great he's like a that. celebrity <laughs> oh you're very kind i have a member of the beetle brunch club who said to me i've got cassettes of every show you've ever done so if you need a show just let me know cool well i'll let you go Okay. Thank you, Melissa. It's been great. I really... Oh, wait, one more. No, just kidding. I'm done. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Something Will Happen. And here's another great review from one of our customers who comes to Abbey Road on the River. Joyce says, I've been to every Abbey Road on the River that took place in Cleveland, Louisville, Washington, D.C., and Jeffersonville. What I love most is hearing the music interpreted in so many different ways. I definitely have my favorite groups and solo acts, but I also make a point to take a listen to the up-and-coming bands as well. It's such a fun experience and something to look forward to every year. Thanks, Joyce, for that great review. And if you'd like to be shouted out in one of our upcoming episodes of the podcast, send us a note at arotr18 at gmail.com telling us which bands or shows you're most excited to see and why, and your write-up could be featured in an upcoming episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in to Something Will Happen. Remember that Abbey Road on the River is happening May 26th to 30th, 2022 in Jeffersonville, Indiana. To start making your plans, head over to arotr.com. There you can see the full lineup of bands that are coming, check out shows we're planning, book your hotels, and grab your tickets while you're there. Head over to arotr.com slash podcast and enter your email to get $5 of Beetlebucks to use at the festival for food, drinks, and our exclusive festival merchandise. For the most up-to-date information, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. We'll see you in May. Something will happen.